0: This morning, um, I'm talking on a hope that is certain. Um, we're going to uh, be reading scripture together, but um, my name's Anna, I'm married to Simon, who's the pastor of the church here, and I know how much you all enjoy some of the stories from our earlier years, when we were young and energetic, um, before four children, now we're just tired and, you know, sort of surviving, but um, I thought I'd tell you our engagement story, because it very vaguely links into hope, so I thought I'd tell it. Um <laughs> So, um, Cy and I, we actually started planning our wedding before we'd got engaged. The wrong way around, I know, but there's a long story behind that. Um, so we knew we were going to get engaged or I knew I was going to get engaged quite soon. And I had very clearly said to Simon in multiple ways, because even from a young age, you have that realization that the way to communicate with men is repetition. <laughs> if you want it to happen, I find. So, um... I'd sort of said in many ways, I would just love to get engaged on the beach because we lived in Bournemouth around Christmas time. That's what I'm really hoping for. You see, hope got it in there, um, and I'd made it really clear. I'd sort of said, you know, I'd just be so lovely. Don't you think it would be lovely? Get engaged on the beach, lovely by the by the sea on a sunny day around Christmas time, multiple times. So it gets to Christmas Day. We've brought the ring together because obviously I didn't let him choose by himself. <laughs> as much as I love Simon, you know, aesthetics isn't his thing. Um, so we we were just sort of sitting on the sofa on Christmas Day, eating chocolate, drinking a cup of tea, and I and Sai said to me, Anna, do you want to go to the beach? I said, No, Sai. i watching television and eating chocolate. What's wrong with you? No. And then Sarah's like, okay, I need to try again. So Anna, you really want to come to the beach with me, don't you? And I said, no, Simon, I really don't. I want to sit and eat chocolate and watch TV. Why would you want to go outside? It's cold. And he was like, okay. And then he tried one more time. I got really grumpy and said to him, I am not going to the beach. I am going to sit here and I'm going to eat chocolate. If you want to go to the beach, you go by yourself in my normal, gracious way. And Simon... Um, decided that that was that. He wasn't going to ask me to marry him that day. He didn't, wasn't even sure he really wanted to marry me after that anyway. So, <laughs> we actually ended up getting engaged under a security light on New Year's Eve in some random village in the rain. It was, you know, not quite what we were hoping for at all. <laughs> but we did actually get engaged and he did marry me, even though I was even more grumpy and feisty than I am now. So, we're, uh, we're really grateful for that. So, the great news is, is that the hope that we have in Jesus is so much more certain than engagement plans, which we're all pleased about. We're going to read from Hebrews 6. We're going to go um, from verse 9 to verse 20 to just as a launch pad into talking about a hope that is certain. Um, I'm actually going to read it in the Good News version. We're not. I'm not going to be exegetically preaching this morning, so this is a really great version. If you're finding reading the Bible really tricky... This Good News version is really brilliant. It's really easy to understand. So we'll start reading. It should come up on the screen behind me. It says, "'We know that you have the better blessings that belong to your salvation. "'God is not unfair. "'He will not forget the work you did "'or the love you showed for him in the help you gave "'and are still giving to your fellow Christians.'" Our great desire is that each of you keep up your eagerness to the end so that the things you hope for will come true. We do not want you to become lazy, but to be like those who believe and are patient and so receive what God has promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, he made a vow to do what he had promised. Since there was no one greater than himself, he used his own name when he made his vow. He said, I promise you that I will bless you and give you many descendants. Abraham was patient and so he received what God had promised. When people make vows, they use the name of someone greater than themselves and the vow settles all arguments to those who were to receive what he promised. God wanted to make it very clear that he would never change his purpose, so he added his vow to the promise. There are these two things then that cannot change and about which God cannot lie. So we who have found safety with him are greatly encouraged to hold firmly to the hope placed before us. We have this hope As an anchor for our lives, it is safe and sure and goes through the curtain of the heavenly temple into the inner sanctuary. On our behalf, Jesus has gone in there before us. And I'm going to finish there so that we don't read about my kids or I can get confused. So that's the verse we're reading from this morning. You know, um, I'm not going to have a gentle break into the preach this morning. I'm going to ask you a really serious question right off from the beginning. I want you to honestly answer in your heart, what are you more certain of? Which hope are you more certain of? That you're going to get paid... However, that might happen for you, whether you're um, paid by working, whether you you get benefits, whether you get your pension, whether family members help you. What are you more certain of? That that money's going to arrive in your account and you're going to buy food this month? Or that if you died right now, that you would be with Jesus in glory? Which hope do you build your life on? Because in the end, everybody builds their life on hope. What we hope for determines what we do. As believers, we're told in Romans 8 to hold on to the hope of eternity, the redemption of our bodies. But what is biblical hope? There's a real difference between I hope my kids will behave, I hope that Cy has remembered to tell his parents that he's going away to a war zone, which he never does, which is awkward. Um, I hope that this thing will work out. I hope I get promoted. That is different from biblical hope. Romans 8 tells us that we hope for what is unseen. You can't hope for what you've already got. got it. You hope for what is unseen. As I was reading around about biblical hope, the best definition I found was in Wiley, and it said, It's a confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. I'll just read that again because it's such a helpful definition. Hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. So from this definition and from the uh, passage in Hebrews, we're going to look together at three, it's actually four, but I've made it three, parts of hope that is certain for us. We're going to look at what are we hoping for? What are we confidently expectant of? Why and how can we be confident and certain? And how does having a certain hope affect our life? So firstly, what are we hoping for? What are the promises of God that we are confidently expectant of? Well, there's so many, isn't there? You're going to look at all of them in more detail in your life briefs this week, but we're just going to look at a few this morning. And we're going to start with one of God's most amazing promises to us, and that's the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life. We have the promise that we are forgiven from our wrongdoings. In the Bible, it's called sin. And our main wrongdoing is our arrogance in thinking that we don't need God, you know, that our way of leading our life is right. No one can tell me what is right and wrong. I will decide my own moral structure. I don't need God. I can do it by myself. Actually, the Bible makes it really clear that from the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God, that man and God have been separated. Our wrongdoings, whether they're very minor Or major, they separate us from the holy and just God who has to punish sin. He can't just let it go because it's just little. He has to punish all sin. And actually, the Bible tells us that the cost of this sin is death. And by death, it means this eternal separation from God. We're unable to be in God's presence. You know, no matter how hard we try, We cannot bridge that gap or make amends because actually we're powerless to pay the price for our wrongdoings. But because of God's great love, he sent his son, Jesus, who is God himself, to be born as a baby, to live a perfect life as a man, to take the punishment for our wrongdoings on the cross. Jesus died in our place Jesus paid the price. He was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. In Hebrews 6, where you read about Jesus going into the inner place, that he went right into that inner place. It's talking about in the Old Testament when they built the temple, which was where God's presence was, where God's glory was, was in that inner place. And you couldn't go in there and just stroll in. Actually, the high priest went in once a year. And they used to tie a rope around his ankle in case he died in the presence of God. They could pull him out, which I always think is quite fun. I love telling the kids that. I always put one on one of their ankles and pull them along because it's fun. Um, But uh, actually, Jesus went into that place for us. He has broken that divide between us and God. Because when we stand before God, we stand in the rightness of Jesus. We stand because he was able to pay the price. He rose again because death could not hold him. The promise of salvation is that when we believe in our hearts, when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that means that we make Jesus the king of our lives. We live for him and not for ourselves. When we ask for forgiveness, that we will be saved. We will have eternal life with him forever and ever. He promised us life in all of its fullness now and life eternal. It's a sure promise of God. In 1 John 5, verse 11 to 13, it says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have life eternal. If you know Jesus this morning, then you can know that you have life eternal. In John 10, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In John 5, Jesus says again, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death into life and then in john 10:10 we have that famous verse i have come that they may have life and life in all of its fullness the promise of God that we hope through for, through, through Jesus' death is that not only do we receive life eternal, but we receive life in all of its fullness. Now, there's the promise that when we die, we are going to be given a perfect eternal body. It will never break. We will never get sick. And that when Jesus returns, he will bring justice to everyone. Nobody will escape the judgment of God. He will come and judge everyone. And actually, the truth is, we will either be able to stand in God's presence and enter into eternal life with God forever and ever because we stand in the righteousness of Jesus, that is, that Jesus has made us right before God, or we will stand on our own. And that's quite a frightening thought, isn't it? God's promise to us is that when we stand on what Jesus has done, that we will have eternal life. Now, if you're a believer today... Do you really believe it? As I'm preaching the gospel message, does your brain switch off and you think, I have heard this so many times, I don't need to listen again. Do you actually have it as a certain hope in your life? Do you build your life around the hope of eternity with God? Do you make decisions based on the fact that we know that this world will pass away But what Jesus said will never pass away. Where are you investing your life? Are you investing your life here? Are you investing your life in the internal life that God has promised you? You know, do you try really hard to get revenge now because you want to make sure that everybody receives the judgment that you see fit? Or do you choose Forgiveness and know that God has promised that He will make every wrong right, that He will come back and judge everyone. You know, God promises us that He is going to make all things new. I just wanted to read from Revelation 7, the famous verses from Revelation 7, but I wanted to personalize it. You know, and if you believe in Jesus, this is your certain hope for eternal life. It says, Therefore, We will be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter you with his presence. You will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike you, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be your shepherd, and he will guide you to springs of living water. And God himself will wipe away every tear, from your eye. It's an amazing promise, isn't it, that we build our life on the promise of eternity. But not only does God give us this amazing promise that he will save us, he also promises us that in this life he will fill us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 14 promised to send the helper, um, the comforter, and we receive the Holy Spirit, who is God, as a seal of our salvation, of God himself living within us when we come to know and love Jesus. But God also promises that he will pour his spirit out. Actually, in the Old Testament, you see both these promises. In Ezekiel 11, it says, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. And in Joel 2, verse 28 to 29, which was actually written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even on the earth it says i will pour my spirit out on all flesh your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit you know do you believe this as a certain hope of your life do you believe that god wants to pour his holy spirit into your life, that he wants to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to twist his arm. He promised it. He wants to pour those gifts into your life. Do you believe it's freely given to all? You know, sometimes when you get saved, you believe, well, if I meet this bit, then I can receive the Holy Spirit, and I'll be better, and I'll do okay if I just sort this out in my life. Actually, the promise of God is that he will pour his Spirit out on everyone, It doesn't matter what social class you are in. It doesn't matter whether you've had a good week. Actually, God will pour his spirit out into your life. God also promises that he's always with us, that he's sovereign over our lives. The things that you cannot control, he can, so we can hold on to that promise. He himself holds the keys to life and death. You know, if you're afraid of dying today and you're a believer... Be so confident in the hope that actually you will breathe as long as God gives you breath. And that's so peaceful for us to know, that hope that he himself holds the keys to life and death. He promises that he will love you forever and that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. There's some of these amazing promises of God. But how confident or certain are you or are we in these promises, how can we have confident expectation of what God has promised? Why is our hope a certain hope? Well, in this passage in Hebrews 6 that I read earlier, we're given two reasons. One is that he promises and he uses his name. It's like a guarantee of the promise. You know, people say, oh, I'd swear it on my mother's grave. I always think, oh, really? I'm not sure about that. Um, but... Actually, the promise that God makes is based on his name because there's no one greater than him and he does not change his purpose. If we read that in 16 and 17, it says, When people make vows, they use the name of someone greater than themselves and the vow settles all arguments. To those who were to receive what he promised, God wanted to make it very clear that he would never change his purpose. So he added his vow to the promise and then we're also told in this passage that God cannot lie. He's a God of complete truth. And in verse 18 it says, These then are the two things then that cannot change and about which God cannot lie. So we who have found safety with him are greatly encouraged to hold firmly to the hope placed before us. And the person we're told about in this passage is a man called Abraham. If you've never really read about him, it's from Genesis 12. Onwards, you read about Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would have a son. And he gave Abraham this promise that his would, he would be the father of a nation, that, the, that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. That was the hope that he gave to Abraham. But there was a real problem: that Abraham and Sarah had no son. They got older and older, and it got less and less likely that they would have a son. And yet Abraham held on to hope. He held on to it. And at the age of 100 years, where basically the Bible says that Sarah's womb was like a shriveled up prune, and Abraham was, you know, his body was as good as dead, so you can take from that what you will. Um, They've had a son, and his name was Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of the twelve of twelve sons, who became the twelve tribes of Israel. And from the line of Judah, one of the tribes, Jesus was born. And from Jesus, we have the church. Abraham's descendants are as many as the stars in the sky, and are always increasing. And it's amazing to see how God fulfills his promises. He never fails. Abraham knew that he had a certain hope. John Stott says, Behind all promises lies the character of the person who made them. We're told in James 1 and Malachi 3 that our God never changes. His character is perfect. He is always steadfast in love. He is forever faithful. Abraham is one of many stories that you can read in the Bible of God's faithfulness and his consistent character that does not change And actually, if you ask older people in this church, they will be able to give you many testimonies of how God has been faithful to them. But how can we, as ever-changing, frequently faithless Christians, hold on to hope? Well, in Hebrews 6.13, we're told... Um, that Abraham was patient. He waited and trusted in the timing of God. I don't know about you, but I'm not a very patient person. Do you know, before I had children, I thought I was. And then I had children and realized I'm not, um, because they're really annoying. And so I uh, <laughs> had this sudden revelation, ha, huh, I'm not a patient person, I'm actually really grumpy and impatient. And, um, but in the Bible, we're told to be patient, to trust that God's timing is perfect Secondly, we need to hold on to faith like Abraham did. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for and certain of the things we do not see. You know, faith and hope are synonymous. They go hand in hand together. In Revelation 4, in Romans 4, we're told, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he would become the father of nations. He did not weaken in faith, even when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, and Sarah's barrenness. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God." you can see that Abraham held onto this certain hope, not by denying the reality of the fact his body was 100 years old. I mean, that's old, isn't it, 100 years? And that Becerra was barren. If he have not had a baby by 100, it's not going to happen. He didn't, like, deny that that was the truth and live in a deluded fantasy, but he chose to believe in the faithfulness and the power of God. You notice that in the Romans passage that, we read. It says, Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. You know, do you want to grow strong in faith? I do. I it's one of the areas I really struggle with is faith. I'm quite a realist and I find it, you know, faith is one of those things that I really have to make myself grow in. Actually we need to lift our eyes up and give glory to God. We need to lift ourselves out of the, our situations and see that we serve a God who is forever faithful, forever true, who loves to fulfill his promises and is willing and able to help. Second, and Thirdly, we're told in Hebrews 6, 11-12 that the way we hold on to a certain hope is that we eagerly pursue hope. We don't give up. When it's difficult, it says, "Our great desire is that each of you keep up your eagerness for the, to the end, and so that the things you hope for will come true. We do not want you to become lazy, but to be like those who believe and are patient and so receive what God has promised. You know, holding on to hope is the fight of your life. You have to hold on to it. We don't give up. We don't become lazy and just think, do you know, it's really hard work holding on to the promise of God. I'm just going to give up for one and do whatever I like, because it's easier that way, and I'll pick it up when I feel like it. Actually, no, we hold on to the certain promises that God has made us. We don't get tired and old and sceptical over the promises of God. I don't know if you've ever had this experience that you've met an older person who's like a young person because they've kept that eagerness in their faith for the whole of their life. They've not given up. They keep running with Jesus all the time. And you can meet young people who have been Christians for a while. It's like meeting a 90-year-old, you know? They're just totally no life. They just give up the moment things get difficult. But actually, we need to hold on to the truth that God has given us. We need to believe in the power of God. Do you know, bitterness is the enemy of hope. It robs us of the hope that God has for us. We also hold on to hope by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we abound in hope. Do you notice that after you've been at church and you've worshipped or you've prayed or you've been at life group or you've been with other believers that you are so much more certain of the promises of God, you're so encouraged, you know that Jesus is coming back, you know it's going to be better when he comes back. Well, that's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, one or two of us are gathered, the Holy Spirit is there. It doesn't matter whether you're in this building, actually wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is there. We need to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice this theme in this series that we've been doing of grace, peace and hope? The consistent theme is keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a real fear of mine as as we watch the church. Because when I was a little girl, I was like 11. I we went from a non-charismatic church, um, which um, was lovely church actually, beautiful church, but it didn't really have the power of the Holy Spirit there. And then we went into this totally wild church where the first time we went, we were just standing at the back going, Oh, what is going on in here? And we went from that into a Spirit-filled life. And it totally transformed each one of us in our family to have the power of the Holy Spirit. But actually, I noticed that as time is going on, people are getting less and less dependent on the Holy Spirit. We say, Oh, we're charismatic. How many times do you start your day saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit today. How many times when you're worshipping are you saying, Lord, pour out your Spirit? If, if God doesn't meet with us, you've, we've got no hope, have we, really? We need the Holy Spirit to be poured into our life. We need the Holy Spirit. You cannot walk your walk with Jesus successfully without the Holy Spirit's power in your life. We need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can also hold on to hope by rejoicing. In Romans five verse two, we're told to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In all circumstances, we rejoice in the hope of God's promises. You know, are you feeling broken today? Is your body completely failing you? It's so annoying when your body fails you, isn't it? It's so irritating. But Actually, we rejoice because we know we are going to get an eternal body. It will never break. It will never fail. It will always work perfectly for you. Are you feeling hurt by other people today? Have people failed you and betrayed you? Well, rejoice because God never will. He will always be faithful to you. Are you grieving today? Will rejoice because Jesus is coming back and he is going to take us all to be with him. We rejoice with the confident expectation that Jesus is coming again and we know that we will not be put to shame. So, how does having this certain hope affect our life? Well, Hebrews 6, verse 19, the passage we read at the beginning says, We have this hope as an anchor for our lives. It is safe and sure and goes through the curtain of the heavenly temple into the inner sanctuary. Hope is an anchor in our life. It holds you secure. Whatever else is happening, however turbulent your life is, the anchor of hope holds you safe the whole time. You might bob about a little bit, but you're never going to strail off and end up somewhere where you don't. Um, where God doesn't want you to go. Hope is an anchor for our lives. In the Romans 15 passage I read earlier, it said, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You know, hope gives us joy. Do you feel like a joyless Christian? We, you know, go through times where it's really difficult to hold on to joy, isn't it? Um, But hope gives us joy. I want to read you Kay Warren's definition of joy. I know I've read it to you all before, but it's so good. I just read it every time I get the opportunity. It says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. And when we we hope we have that joy, we can build our life, on God's promises, not on the world's promises. The world will fail you. People will fail you. Um, We will fail you. I can be sure of that. But God will never, ever fail you. He will always keep his promises. So build your life on the hope of God's promises. You know, hope frees us from anxiety and fear because we know that God is in control in Psalm 42, which, if you suffer with anxiety, read Psalm 42 every day and it will really help you. Just get freedom from anxiety and to put that anxiety in its rightful place, which is at the foot of the cross. It's an excellent psalm. It's not denying how we feel at times where everything is all over the place and your emotions are just feeling awful. But it finishes like this. It says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. As we hope, God gives us a peace. The more certain you are that God fulfills his promises, the more peaceful you can become, even in situations where you should not be. You know, God is always who he says he is. He doesn't say one thing and do another. We have a certain hope. Our God is the God of hope. You know, we won't be weighed on scales and hope that our good deeds... Outdo our bad. We won't be hoping that God is in a good mood on the day that you face him. We know that we have an eternal hope in Jesus, that he is coming again, and that he will make all things new. We know that there will be a time where there will be no pain, no suffering, no death, no tragedy. We will live with him forever and ever. God always fulfills his promises. He is forever faithful. Our hope is not built on the insecurity and changeability of people. Our hope is not built on world systems, global banking, climate. Actually, our hope is built on the eternal and unchanging God who promises us he is coming again and he is going to make all things new. So my challenge to all of us today, and I include myself in that, Because how certain are you in your hope of God's promises? Where is your hope? What areas are you putting your energy and effort into? Which hope are you pouring your life energy into and living for? Do you put up a fight for hope? Do you keep hold of it? Whatever may be happening around you, do you hold on to the hope that God has given you? Are you being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit? Or have you kind of got a bit, you know, not really that bothered. You just do, it's really nice to come to church, feel a bit better. But in the week, actually, it, doesn't, it never enters your mind to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And uh, I just, while I was uh, pr- praying about this sermon, I felt God sort of talked to me uh, on a few things. Firstly, I'd really like to uh, pray. um, Just I felt there's people here who don't know Jesus. And actually, God wants to meet with you. He wants you to live for him. And I think as I've been talking, you felt actually the time has come for you to give your life to Jesus. So I'm going to pray about um, salvation. But also, I'd like to pray for us as a church that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I went to my work do on Friday night. (laughs) It was rough. I went to the work on Friday night. And um, I, it struck me so much. It's so hopeless in the world. It's so hopeless when the aim of your Christmas is to get to a Christmas party and then be so drunk that you tell everyone that you love them. And that it's, that's your aim. You know, that's what you're hoping for is that the Christmas party is great. That's the hope of your life. I mean, it's hopeless, isn't it, if that's what you're aiming for? And I came home, and on Saturday morning, I was just thanking God so much that I'm saved. I was completely sober at the party, didn't drink anything. I never do, actually, when I go to work days, because I think it's important that people know that you haven't had anything to drink. But um, I just was so grateful to God that, actually, I was in that party thinking, I have so much more to be rejoicing over, to praise God for, that God has poured his mercy into my life. I think as Christians, we've got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves that our life is different and start celebrating the fact that we have an eternal hope. It's so wonderful, isn't it, that we're going to be with Jesus forever. So can I just get everyone to stand? And I just want to pray... Um, If you don't know Jesus and you've really felt that challenge of the time has come for you to put your trust into Jesus, I'm just going to pray. You just pray in your head the prayer that I'm praying and tell somebody that that you've made that response today. But Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you died for me. Thank you that you came to earth as a baby and lived as a man, and died on the cross, and rose again to pay the price for the things that I have done. Lord, I give you my life, and I choose to live for you. I choose to make you the king of my life, and I pray this in your name. Amen. And can I just pray for us as a church, if you're comfortable, do you want to put your hands out in front of you? If you're not, you know, it's all right. Um, We'll pray. Lord Jesus, we just praise you and thank you for the certain hope that we have that you are coming again. Thank you for that certain hope that we know we're going to be in glory with you forever and ever. We thank you that we serve an unchanging God, that we can have absolute confidence that when we see you face to face, that you will accept us and love us and that we will be able to just be in your presence Lord, I pray, fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we be people who abound in hope. May we abound in joy as we know that everything is going to be all right. You are going to right every wrong. You are going to turn everything to how you intended it to be, Lord. I just pray, Lord Jesus, for people who've lost hope, who've got tired and sceptical, for people who've lost joy, Lord Jesus, pour your Spirit out into us. Cause us to be people who abound in joyfulness. Lord, would it just flow out of us? Lord, keep us from being people who feel sorry for ourselves because our life is different from everybody else's. Thank you that our life is different from everybody else's. Thank you that we live with an eternal hope that we are going to be with you. Lord Jesus, may we see many people come to know and love you as they see that hope in our life and are drawn to you, Lord Jesus. Just pour your spirit out on us, we pray. And we pray this in your name. Amen.